Welcome to the Raucous George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion, and this is episode 149. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit like, follow, or subscribe on the platform you're listening to us on. You can also check out my work at the loudest.com on the planet, knac.com, for exclusive hard rock and heavy metal interviews, live show coverage, and more. My guest for this episode is Vikram Schenker. He is the keyboardist and orchestrator for the band Silent Skies. Silent Skies is Vikram and Tom S. England of Evergrey. They are both members of Redemption as well. Silent Skies is going to be releasing their third studio album on September 1st, entitled Dormant through Napalm Records. And here's Vikram Schenker to tell you more about it. If I knew absolutely nothing about Silent Skies, how would you describe the band's music to me? I would say that Silent Skies is a melancholy cinematic project that is highly dynamic and is full of a lot of subtleties, but also is willing to be expansive when the music calls for it. The project features yourself and Tom S. England of Evergrey. How did you two first form this project? Tom reached out to me completely out of the blue in early 2017. And he told me that he felt that we should make an album together. And we had never spoken before. So it was, you know, extremely out of the blue to receive that message. And to be honest, I thought I was being pranked at first. <laughs> it felt extremely arbitrary, but he felt that there was some unexplainable element of faith that was compelling him to reach out and make this happen. And he had been familiar with my work for some years, apparently. <laughs> Uh, I I used to do a lot of piano covers, like on, on YouTube and stuff, playing rock and metal songs on piano. I'd done a few Evergrey songs, and I think he could tell from my covers that not only was I playing all the, the notes the right way, but I was understanding the emotions. And, you know, we were understanding music and phrasing and texture and color and dynamics in a very similar way. And he felt that we could do something really different and special together. And really that moment was like a big watershed moment for me because ever since then, my career has gone in so many different directions, but most of them can be traced to that one message in January, 2017. So it's quite a, actually quite a strange thing when I think about it. But. <laughs> quite awesome, actually, because you're turning in to be the go-to guy for prog rock anyway. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think the Silence Guys was part of what, you know, thrust me into the public eye, so to speak. And through Tom, I got to play keyboards in Redemption. I, I see that behind you, the I Am The Storm right there. Um, so that was another thing that kind of thrust me into the spotlight, so to speak. But yeah, it all, it all starts with him. And he's been very generous about, you know, he, any sort of special opportunity that lands his way he's very eager to involve me so he's he has been quite generous in that regard and i'm very thankful for that on september 1st silent skies is releasing their third studio album dormant through napalm records you guys just released your second studio album a year ago nectar you guys are really cranking them out i'm guessing there's a lot of creativity there the juices flow quite readily 
with us. And once we finished Nectar, we almost immediately started writing Dormant. But actually, Dormant took a good deal longer to produce the Nectar. A Nectar from the beginning to the end of the process took about four months, and this one took, I guess, close to a year. But that was intermittent, you know, with, you know, Tom being busy with live shows. And, you know, I'm also quite busy as well in my own professional life. But all that being said, we did spend a lot more time on this album, I feel, because the standard was so high that we set ourselves. And every single minute detail we approached exhaustively. So, you know, it, it ended up being a, a long and I won't say arduous process because that has a, a negative connotation, but I'll say an obsessive process. But, you know, I think it was worth it because at least in my estimation, this is the best Silence Guys album. And I think it, it's the statement I always wanted to make with Silence Guys. When you and Tom write together, is he responsible for the lyrics and you responsible for the orchestration? Or you guys share a little bit of everything. It's become more and more shared over the years. I would say way back in 2017, I was handling like 99% of the music and he was handling 99% of the vocal concepts. But it's become quite collaborative over the years and especially on Dormant, we spent a lot of time together on Zoom working on both music and vocals very closely. He always has something to say when it comes to the musical approach and especially arrangements and kind of the way Everything was orchestrated together and layers and sounds and textures. And I've started being quite vocal, no pun intended, when it comes to vocal melodies and lyrics. And very often we shape lyrics together. I think me being a native English speaker, he values what I have to say about how things are expressed. And so we've ended up going into each other's lanes quite a bit. And I think that's part of what makes this album a step up is that you know, it's a very holistic process. We don't think about music and vocals. We think about a song. I think that's different than a lot of metal bands, where a lot of metal bands that I know write the music and then they write the vocals. But from the very beginning, from the very early kernels of the song, we're thinking about vocals and vocal melodies and lyrical concepts. So, so it becomes more of, I guess, a unified package than you know, two elements put on top of each other, if that makes sense. Now, to me, uh, and usually my interpretation of music is 50% right, <laughs> but to me, this album seems like it's it's about internal struggles and feelings and kind of dealing with feelings in relationships on the outside as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about life, which is comprised, you know, largely of those two elements that you point out. You know, the, the basic idea of this album is holding up a mirror and looking at what you see, being honest about what you see, understanding that very often when you hold up the mirror, you see things that you don't like, that, you know, either is, you know, a quality of yourself that is unattractive to you or, or a quality that, you know, is deeply distressing to see in yourself. And that quality, of course, relates to how you interact with other people and also how you interact with the world in general and current events and the state of humanity and the earth as well and everything. So it's all about taking stock and being honest. I, I like to use this phrase radical honesty in interviews because I think 
that's really a big part of our process, not just lyrically and conceptually, but also musically, because we are radically honest about what we want to do and the things that are inspiring us musically and the directions that we want to go in. And we always feel like we have to, you know, be cognizant of where our natural impulses are taking us because as soon as we start to put up arbitrary walls and say, you know, we want to do this, but we won't for whatever reason, the integrity of the final product becomes compromised in some way. And I think that leads to products that are not as good. And I think that listeners respond to authenticity and they respond to honesty and they respond, they respond to the truest rendition of an artist. And so, you know, I, I think that listeners are more likely to connect with what we have to say if we're being radically honest. And also one more related point is that if you think about human interactions in general and mental health and all these things, if people are honest about who they are and they put forth their honest selves with all the struggles and mental health issues and, you know, all the blemishes, we're more likely to find kinship and see our honest selves in each other and say, you know, I have these problems and you have these problems and I don't feel alone because I understand that we have this common struggle. And music is the same way if you put forth those emotions honestly. So you're more likely to connect with your listeners if you're emotionally and artistically honest. So that's the way I like to do it. As far as original material ahead of the album's release, you've put out Construct and Churches. Is it difficult to pick a single that best represents the album you're putting forth? Because, I mean, today's society is single-driven versus album-driven. Yeah, it is very true. And it gets harder and harder, to be honest. I, I think on the first album, it was fairly obvious what choices were going to be singles. And by the time we're on this third album, we had absolutely no idea what was going to be a single. And I feel like at least eight of the 10 songs could have been strong singles. Um, but each one of them would have kind of spoken to a slightly different aesthetic and maybe because of that, a slightly different, you know, target audience, but you know, it's, it's good to not obsess over that too much, but we sent the full album to a bunch of very trusted colleagues and asked them to each pick like three choice singles. And I think between all of them, every single song, but maybe one or two was nominated. So, you know, everyone felt that a different three songs would have made a great single. So it became, and of course the label has their own opinion. Know, understandably so so it got to the point where we just had to think about what we felt was the best songs to introduce people to the ways in which our world has our sound world has expanded and the ways that you know as well as the ways that it feels i guess familiar to those who already love what we do and that's a very difficult thing um but I feel like those those two singles that we've released so far, Construct and Churches, they do show especially very new shades to the sound. Not all of the full radical elements that we brought into our sound, because there are some other songs on the album like The Real Me and Just Above the Clouds that bring in very, very new sound elements to what we do. But things that kind of indicate where we're going and show 
prospective listeners that these are the ways that we're taking a step forward, but hopefully you still connect to the, you know, core melancholy that is central to really everything that we do. But it is hard. It has become very, very difficult to choose singles. Uh, speaking of famil- familiarity, which I used to be able to say, familiarity. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, you've done three covers as bonus tracks. You've done um, The Trooper by Iron Maiden. You've done Numb by Linkin Park and Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. Definitely unique takes on these songs. Uh, I don't think you've done covers before, so um, why did you decide to go this route and put these unique takes on these songs? Yeah, the we did one cover on the first album. We did Here Comes the Rain Again by Eurythmics. And that wasn't that was very much in conceptual kinship to the covers that we did on this album, the bonus tracks. And the idea behind our covers is first of all, choosing songs that are a little bit out of left field and people wouldn't expect us to tackle, but also thinking about songs that have a certain inner core emotionality that we find compelling, but that is dressed up in a certain way where perhaps the average listener or a casual listener might not pick up on that you know inner core emotionality that's going on. But since we relate to it in a, that, sign, that kind of deep way, to strip back the layers and reconstruct it you know, in our own lens and put our own stamp on how we see the core narrative of the song and hopefully inspire some listeners to go back to these original songs and listen with fresh ears and really try to pick up on what's happening beneath the surface, lyrically, conceptually, also musically. Um, One, you know, the trooper is probably one of the most drastic examples of the collection Um, because I think a lot of listeners who hear that song on, you know, rock radio or whatever, they hear those huge riffs, the, you know, larger than life vocals, you know, all that super iconic stuff from that song. But the lyrical story underneath it is actually extremely sad and tragic. Um, sometimes it doesn't always feel that way the Bruce, the way that Bruce sings it because it feels almost like a call to arms or a charge into battle kind of thing. But the actual poetry that Steve Harris wrote is, is very, very sad. And, at the time we were talking about doing this cover at first, you know, it was back when the invasion of Ukraine was very foremost on people's minds. And so this lyrical story is as relevant now as it's ever been, if not more so. So the idea was just to find the right musical and aesthetic approach that paid tribute to what we feel is this, you know, quite profound genius that underlies this song. And honestly, from that point on, it's not so much a challenge as just extremely rewarding and fun because, you know, as a musician, I love composing my own music, but I also love taking other people's songs and putting my own stamp on them and playing them the way that I would play them if I had written them. So take the original chords and color them on the piano in certain ways. In the case of the Dancing in the Dark cover, Bruce Springsteen actually wrote new chords to fit the original vocal melody, but the chords are completely different. Just to further bring out that emotional character in that song, because that is, oh my gosh, man, the words in that song are so just sad and like, 
he's kind of just like wandering around without a purpose. And I think that that's very relatable. I think more and more people feel that way, you know, in the cluttered chaos of the modern world with so much just sensory stimulus in your eyes and ears and senses all the time. It's very hard to find a purpose for a lot of people. So that song really speaks to that. And of course, the original dressing of that song is a quintessential synth pop song. It's super bubbly and up tempo. And probably a lot of people may think of it as just one of those cheesy 80s pop songs. But it's like there's so much going on narratively in that song. And I've been a Bruce Springsteen fan for many, many years. He's very close to my heart. So it was like a decades long fulfillment for me to have Tom sing that song. And as an additional twist of fate, I always used to describe Tom as the metal Bruce Springsteen. Not just because of the, the gruff character, both of their voices, but also they both have a way of delivering narrative and emotion that is so direct. And anytime either of them sing their story, like it grabs you with both hands and pulls you in. It's like, listen to what I have to say, you know? So it was, it was really cool to have, you know, one of my vocal heroes in you know putting his stamp on another one of my vocal heroes i know you've got the trooper out ahead of the album and numb as a visualizer on youtube have you gotten any feedback yeah. from either lincoln park or from iron maiden about your covers yet no i would love to one day um you know obviously these are artists who have a lot of things to do in their lives and probably crawling around youtube finding covers is not at the top of their list of ways to spend their time but it would be it would be lovely to hear what either of them have to say about these covers i think the numb cover is a pretty direct connection emotionally because the original song is already quite emotionally potent and i think people relate to it in that way but it is very larger than life with that you know early 2000s rock production it just sounds so massive and contemporary but, you know, I would have really loved to hear what Chester would have had to say about it. And unfortunately, we'll never know. But hopefully he's looking down upon what we've done and, and he's, you know, at least appreciative of the way that we've read his music and his lyrics. Just as important as the art in your music is the art on the album cover. Uh, fantastic artwork by Matthias Norin. Uh, how did you get him involved with the designing of the album artwork? Matthias goes way back in the Evergrey world, in Tom's world. He did a number of the very early Evergrey covers. I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he worked on Solitude Dominance Tragedy through Recreation Day, maybe. But I mean, I mean, we're talking, you know, 20 years ago and, you know, beyond. So he, I believe, had kind of taken a little bit of a, retirement from working on album artwork and design and he recently has gotten back into it but he's never stopped being a painter and a very gifted painter at that but you know that's an important distinction that he is a painter he works with the physical medium and all of the artwork on the album from the front cover back cover there are a number of very beautiful images throughout the packaging as well pretty much every song has a piece of artwork that corresponds to it and they're all physical medium watercolor paintings and you know there's there's just something really beautiful about the way he listens to the music and interprets it 
We don't really give him too much guidance. In fact, the album cover was an existing painting that he had done that we had seen and that was really captivating. And we felt that it was somehow on some maybe subconscious level, it was tapping into very similar emotions and concepts to what our music was doing. And so we reached out to him and we asked him to essentially recreate the cover, but we had a bunch of different parameters that we wanted him to follow. And the more parameters we gave it him, the more I think we were messing with his artistry and the more like we were kind of ruining the original work. So eventually we had him strip it all back and basically do, you know, what he had originally done, but with some very slight tweaks. And it's beautiful. I think it's, it's one of probably the best cover we've had, the best overall art package we've had. I just received the, the CD and vinyl last week and I was paging through it. You know, it's always a special feeling. You make an album, then you get the physical copy and you look at it and all of a sudden these files on your computer are a real thing. You know, it's, it's it's quite a special, quite a special moment. But I was looking at all the artwork, and it's just, oh my gosh, it's so stunning and so well thought out. There's so much attention to detail in his paintings, and you know, there are a lot of very, very fine elements in his painting, which kind of, it's actually very similar to our music in that regard, and that there's an overall, I guess, rela relaxing maybe sort of. I don't know how, how people view our music in that regard. I guess it's relaxing veneer that you could take it superficially. But if you put on the headphones and you listen very closely, there are all kinds of very minute details which make up that generally relaxing whole. And I think his, his paintings are the same way. They have an overall emotional effect when you look at them. But if you really you know take a magnifying glass to it, there are so many very fine elements that make up the whole. So... The perfect compliment. He's very, very talented. You have scheduled a album release event on August 31st in Stockholm, Sweden. Is this a concert or just a listening party? It's essentially a mingling party. We won't be performing. We will have a cello player who's kind of providing renditions of our music. But it's primarily a mingling event because I think, you know, it's very important to meet fans and colleagues alike and I think that the social element of music is very important. I think that I don't make my music as a statement at somebody. I like to think of my music as a conversation with people. And I like to think that with our music, we're basically inspiring and provoking questions and serving as an invocation for our listeners to ask themselves questions. And I like to think that we can have a dialogue, an emotional dialogue um, between listener and performer. And I, I think that's a very important part of music. I think that's why concerts are so special because it's the ultimate form of, you know, emotional, spiritual dialogue between performer and artist. But these opportunities to meet fans are, are another way that we can further this dialogue and we can deepen our connection together because I'm interested in having deep relationships with you know our listeners and i suppose there's only so much you can do in order to have a relationship with your listener when all they have is a spotify link to you know hear what you're all about it's very different to put a, a face to the name and a concert but if not a concert at least a chance to meet and exchange thoughts and feelings and impressions and really bond in that way 
So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a, a unique event. I haven't personally done an event quite like this. So maybe Tom has. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it will be cool and special, and I look forward to it. I agree with your take on the connection with the fans, and it's kind of the reason I do these interviews because I think when you hear from the artist and they talk about their art and they talk about the music and they talk about themselves, you hear the music in a different way. Cause I've certainly interviewed people. I didn't care for their music, but once I talked to them and then went back and revisited it, I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good. And now I understand it more because the creator, you know, gave me a little more insight than I had the first time I listened to it. Yeah. I mean, art is made by people, right? And and, it, and that's not in all art, but in the majority of art, and certainly in most of my favorite art, the art is in some way a reflection of who the people are. So it provides a very valuable prism to understand the art, to understand the person behind it. I mean, I, I love like music documentaries and stuff. I was, I was kind of raised on those. I absolutely love watching those, even for artists I don't have a close relationship with. You know, maybe there's an artist whose music, I, I think it's okay, it, it's good, but I've never had a very profound relationship. But then you watch the documentary and you really understand who they are and who they were when they made the music and who they are afterwards as they reflect on the music they've made and as they progress through life. And it, it's so interesting and valuable. And you're totally right. You do hear the music differently when you understand the people who make it. Do you and Tom see yourself performing any material from your three albums live at some juncture? Oh yeah. hundred percent. We had been talking about it for years. I think we, we were first talking about what our live shows might look like way back in 2019 before anyone had heard a note of what we do. We were already thinking about, okay, how, how are we going to bring this to the, to the stage? And Various complications have occurred since then, most notably a certain global pandemic that stopped all of this for a while. But now we can't really use that as an excuse, can we? <laughs> so you know, it's, it's thinking about what it would take to bring this music to life in a proper way that does justice to it. As the, as the arrangements have grown in complexity, now we're at the point where we would probably need eight or nine people to make it happen. You know, we'd need couple keyboard players, a drummer. I'm finally, you know, we're finally having guitar in our music. I played guitar in every song, so we need a guitar player and someone in charge of bass. Drums and percussion are part of it. And we've always had strings, you know, from the very first album, we were working with Raphael Weinroth Brown, who's best known for his work with Leprous. Um, I'd love to have him play live. It would be a shame to have someone else execute his parts, but, you know, some element of strings. And now the now the ensemble is growing, you know, to to do justice to this stuff. And obviously you can use backing tracks, but you only want to push that so far. And this kind of music, we really want it to be real. We really want it to feel real. It's very important to us to use as many real analog elements as possible. You know, over, over the years, we've gone more and more into software, uh, sorry, digital analog synth stuff in the hardware realm all this kind of nerdy stuff behind me and, and all that. So, you know, it's very important that if we do a live show, we don't want to all of a sudden throw a hundred tracks on backing track. And essentially you're coming out to watch a MacBook with two dudes, you know, doing a little bit here and there. That's not very interesting to me. So 
it is a challenge, but it's a challenge that we are currently grappling with. And hopefully in the not too distant future, we can take this to the stage, at least for some performances, if not a tour, because I don't perform live often. Tom does obviously with Evergreen, but I don't do that many gigs. Um, most recently I've been touring with Pan of Salvation, so I'm, I'm playing and getting to play some gigs, but you know, I love performance. Performance to me is like the most potent realization of what we do as artists. So I feel like it would be a huge shame if, you know, we never got to bring this stuff to the stage. So hopefully soon and hopefully in the States, because, you know, with Tom being in Sweden and it generally is easier to tour Europe because, you know, in the States, if you want to tour the entire country, you're spending 99% of your time in a bus or something. It's all so, so spread out. It's quite ludicrous. <laughs> so it is much easier to tour Europe, but hopefully we can make some dates in the States happen. Well, those are all the questions I have for you, Vic. The new album by Silent Skies is out September 1st. It's called Dormant. It's being released through Napalm Records. Fantastic album. I hope one day to catch up with you to talk with you about your studio work, your video game work, your work with Redemption. You're a very busy guy, but I appreciate you taking the time to come on the Rockish George podcast. My pleasure, man. And let's definitely speak again some other time about something because I enjoyed this. So let's make sure to do it. I know we will. <laughs> Looking at your calendar. Right I on, man. All right, Vic, take care. I'll make it happen. Once again, I want to thank Vikram Schenker of Silent Skies for coming on the Rock is George podcast. Be sure to check out their latest album, Dormant, out on September 1st through Napalm Records. Head over to your favorite music streaming app. Take a listen to what's available. If you like what you hear, buy a physical copy. Support the artist. For all things Silent Skies, head to their official Facebook page slash Silent Skies Band. For all things Vikram Schenker, head over to his official website, vikramschenker.com. I also want to thank John Freeman of Freeman Promotions and Napalm Records for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. Discover your next favorite artist on the Rock is George podcast. <laughs>